I was on a plane with a serious threat of a bomb being on board. It ended well, that's why I'm still here. But at one particular point, as the captain was trying to reassure all the passengers, he said, now, when we get back to Nairobi Airport, we will be put into a holding pattern for a little while before they can decide what to do with us. Well, as I say, it ended well. But with that statement about a holding pattern, you know how it is. You get into situations like this. Even the English will talk to one another. And one woman said something just in general, not to anybody in particular. And she said, holding patterns. That's been my whole life. I want to get somewhere and do something and I get put in to a holding pattern. Ugh. It struck me that holding patterns happen to us all in different ways, different shapes and different sizes, different times in our lives. But one thing I've discovered is that holding patterns can also happen in our Christian experience. We're meant to advance, we're meant to keep moving forward in our understanding of God and in the blessings of God. And yet it's so easy for us to just be going around in the circle of things that you do as a Christian. But it's not necessarily advancing us in our relationship with God. And it's meant to. Now, when you check out the New Testament, you will find that there is a picture that is used for this in Corinthians and also in Hebrews. It speaks about being in a desert and it backtracks to the occasion in the book of Exodus when God's people were coming out of lockdown in Egypt, out of that bondage. And it was only an 11-day journey through the desert and the wilderness to get into the promised land, the place of milk and honey. And it took them 40 years. And only two people, Caleb and Joshua, not even their leader Moses, was able to get in to that promised land. They just went round in circles. We don't want that for our Christian experience, do we? We want it to constantly advance. And you know what that promise of blessing actually is? There are 75 blessings spoken of in the New Testament that we are meant to move into. There is a verse for every one of them. But it gets wonderfully summed up in Ephesians 1 and verse 3 when it talks about every spiritual blessing that we have because we're identified with Christ. Now, there are blessings that we share with an unbeliever. For example, you don't need to be a Christian. You don't need to be a believer in any faith to actually have the blessing of a roof over your head, food in your body, health and strength. But we can experience spiritual blessings and spelt out there in Ephesians. It's the blessing of being redeemed and being able to relate to God, to have a hope where other people would have a sense of hopelessness. To know a love that surpasses knowledge, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. But the key issue is, how do we experience all of that? 
how do we make sure that we move into that qualitative Christian experience and Christian life? You realise that God has not made it easy for us to fail at living that kind of Christian experience of getting into our promised land of blessings. I'll say that again another way because you may want to debate and even disagree with that statement. But I make that statement because somebody who knew all about failure in being a follower of Jesus was the Apostle Peter. And yet he wrote, we are in a situation where God has given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So what do I need to live this Christian life? God has actually given it to me. So again I ask, how do we make sure that we come out of any holding pattern when we're just doing religious things into this qualitative experience of Christianity. Well now a metaphor Moses uses as they come out of that bondage in Egypt was three months after being delivered from that, after hundreds of years. And he used a symbol and a picture and a metaphor. It was the eagle. There in Exodus 19 and the fourth verse, he speaks about how God has been like an eagle, bringing us out of that Egyptian bondage. Now that would have a significance for God's people back then, because just like A begins the alphabet in the English, so the symbol of an eagle was used for the Egyptian alphabet. So hearing that God has been like an eagle would say louder than words, we have a God who is bringing us out of that captivity, who is above all of their puny, insignificant little gods in comparison. And now, 40 years later, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 11 and 12, he uses the same picture like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft, the Lord alone led him. Moses' metaphor tells us what to expect when we say, I want to move in to the fullness and the freedom and the blessings, every spiritual blessing, that God has for me, that I might be so blessed, it spills out of me as a blessing to God and a blessing to other people as well. Moses' metaphor helps us because, like an eagle, God will act in our lives to be a disturber, to be a developer, and to be, ultimately, a deliverer. Take the first We are saying we want to move on into the promises of God. God will disturb us. The eagle stirs up its nest, its wonderful being, a little baby eagle. Because mum and dad take good care of you when it's eagles, both the mother and the father nurture the young. 
And so there I am as a little baby eaglet and I am just enjoying life. I just open wide my mouth and along comes mum or along comes dad and just drops a nice juicy morsel into my mouth. It's wonderful being a baby eaglet until one day. When mum and dad come and I open wide my mouth and they don't drop anything into it and now they start to destroy home. And here goes my favourite armchair, mum, dad. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? You get the lesson? It's okay to be a baby eaglet, but it's not okay to stay one. Get a lesson from this. God uses problems to get us moving. That's what James says in the New Testament. We want to come through to what he calls a crown of life. Jesus spoke about knowing life and knowing it more abundantly. But what is the process towards all of that? It's through the trying of your faith. It moves you on to being much more the complete Christian. It's through the trial. It's through the problem that becomes the opportunity for that kind of growth. But the eagle isn't finished yet. Because now having destroyed home, it perches on the side of the once comfortable nest and spreads its wings wide. As if to say there is a potential here and you've got the same as me. And you could use these, quite literally, the Hebrew word there is, it broods over the young one. That particular word has only been used once before in the Bible, way back in the story in Genesis of creation. When the Spirit of God brooded over the chaos, wanting to see that which was begun good and marvellous in creation. And here is the eagle brooding, seeing the potential that can happen there. Now they've got the attention of the young one. Now of the 12 species of eagle that still exist in the Middle East, not one does what Deuteronomy is saying here. And that must mean that this form of eagle is now extinct. But having destroyed home, having showed the potential of what there could be if they were to exercise their half-fledged wings, now mum and dad will nudge Junior off the edge of the cliff, out of the nest. Mum, dad, what are you doing? What are you up to? I thought you loved me. Listen. It is very unfair for any preacher to come around and say, you give your life to Jesus and everything will be comfortable and wonderful for you if you want to go on in the blessings of God, because it's just not true. God is far more concerned about our character than he is our comfort. Like the eagle, God is a developer. He wants the potential that we now have identified with Christ to actually come out. Sometimes we don't trust God until we have to. 
What leap of faith do you need to make? What would you dare to do if you knew that God was nudging you in that direction to exercise your half-fledged wings, the wings spiritually of trust and obedience? You exercise one, I'm going to trust him. You'll stay earthbound. You exercise obedience, you'll stay earthbound. You need both wings of trust and obedience, trusting him and what he says, obeying him when he prompts us in a given direction, and then we can begin to fly. And do you know how eagles fly? Proverbs gives us the answer, three things are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. And one of them was the way of an eagle in the sky, because they don't flap up like other birds. They saw cylindrical bones plus a built-in understanding of how to depend upon the air currents means they just do not look as though they're needing to put any effort into this at all. They know the secret of the winds. Do you know what I am getting at now? Depending upon the wind of the Holy Spirit and getting into the slipstream of all that God is wanting to be about as we depend upon him. Isaiah picked up on this when he said, Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. And when it talks about soaring on wings like eagles because we're renewed, because our hope, our trust and obedience is in him, the literal word there is to exchange our weakness for his strength, our inadequacy for his adequacy, because we're relying upon him, we're depending upon him. You know, at times an eagle looks sorry for itself. It loses its feathers. It looks decidedly depressed, but it knows what to do. It goes to a high rock. It gazes towards the sun and it allows the healing rays of the sun to replenish and renew it. And a believer who wants to go on in the blessings of God will have low times, but they know what to do. They fix their eyes upon the sun, S-O-N for sun. We gaze at who Jesus is. We thank him. We worship him. We praise him for what he's done, what he's doing, what he will do. And it has a renewing effect. As the psalmist said, my youth is renewed like the eagles. Rose was 87 years old when she went to university. At her first tutorial, a group of about 14 or 15, the tutor said, now I want you to turn to the person to your left, find out all that you can about them, and then share with the rest of the group. So the young 18-year-old guy sitting next to Rose beamed at her and said, and what are you doing at uni, at your time of life, quick as a flash, she replied with a smile, to find a rich husband, have a bunch of kids, retire and travel. 
He said, seriously? She said, well, seriously, I just don't want to die before I die. You know, she became one of the most unwanted people in the whole of the university. They just loved having her around. So much so that when the football team had its annual banquet, they invited Rose to be the guest speaker. Now, as she walked up to the podium, she dropped her notes. Now, she had got to that time of life when if you get on your knees to pick something up, you think, what else can I do while I'm down here? So she just forgot about them and leaned on the podium and beamed at everybody and said, life has taught me four lessons. One, find humour in something every day of your life. Two, you've got to have a dream. If you haven't got a dream, you're dead before you're dead. Three, there's a difference between growing old and growing up. And four, have no regrets. She added, the older people I know, we don't so much regret what we did as much as what we didn't do. Two weeks after graduation, Rose died and 2,000 students attended her funeral. You see, our goal is not to live long, it's to live now. And to live in such a way we're rising up and into all those things that God wants to be at work in and through us. Like an eagle, God is a disturber. He will put us in situations where we're uncomfortable quite deliberately because in that it will cause us to move on into the blessings that he wants. He's the developer. He will show us what that actually means, the potential that we have within us now as being his people, and he will sustain us because he is the deliverer. And just like that young baby eaglet is hurtling down now and is going to become a horrible mess on the rocks beneath because mum and dad have nudged it over the edge of that cliff, Suddenly there's a swish of wind and mum and dad come right underneath and Junior lands plop right on the back and is hanging on and having the ride of its life and dropped off where once home used to be. Oh, what a relief. I hope mum and dad don't make a mistake like that again. And then mum and dad do it all over again. Because they're trying to teach them the lesson. Look, you've got what I've got now. Exercise it those wings. Be what you actually now are. So we have a choice to fly or not to fly spiritually. That is the question. As Paul wrote, one thing I do, not these 50 things I attempt, but one thing, forgetting that which is behind, forget the failures, but also forget the successes if it's going to inhibit you in the here and now. But press on. For what? The mark of our high calling. And you know how Paul expresses it? Soaring in heavenward. I must finish. And then you can all fly away. Moses compares God to an eagle 
and us as believers to the eaglet. Jesus contrasts us as a father with a child and so superior to his thoughts about a sparrow. Jesus didn't die for the birds. We are more valuable than the animals, the insects and the birds that are around us. Jesus said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of God. You know, when I first read that in the Bible, I used to have the idea of a sparrow sitting in a branch of a tree, having a heart attack and thud falling to the ground. Then I got to know a little bit more about New Testament Greek and I realised that the word there is hopping to the ground. And you can see that. You can see most days a bird hopping from a branch to the ground. Furthermore, it is saying there is not one particle of air through which that bird is passing that God is not with it. How much more is he concerned and values us. If we worry, we do not trust. And if we trust, we do not worry. So as Jesus said, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. God can't control some worries. You realise that? He can't control the worries that we are going to have tomorrow. Because we're not in tomorrow yet. And when tomorrow arrives, it won't be tomorrow. It becomes today. And he can definitely deal with us and our today. Anxiety doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It empties today of its strength. So I would like to propose that we do something as an outcome and response to all that we're seeing here. Because surely we do want to move on and in to these promises, these blessings of God, and not live at any other kind of level. We don't want to meander around in less than his blessings. Every spiritual blessing. This is the way in which God will be at work in our lives, may I suggest that at some point when you're comfortable to do it, you're on your own perhaps, and on one hand open before you, you think of your life, you think of your circumstances, you think of the difficulties, you think of the problems, you think of the trials that you've got. Then in the other hand, you think of the hand of God, the care of God, the interest of God, and you put that hand underneath the hand with the burden, and you reach up and give them to the Lord. You'll want to live that way, because that's the way you're going to come in to those blessings of God. We will soar on wings like eagles, because his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me.